when you care enough to send the very best. Tonight, from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Edmund Gwen in Helen Astin's Dr. Seracone on the Hallmark Playhouse. Hallmark will bring you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist, Mr. James Houghton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we present a story which has always had a place on the rather small shelf of books which I reread every now and then and never tire of. It is Dr. Sellacold by a very fine English writer, Helen Ashton. Doctors often make good heroes in novels. They are dedicated men, and their work takes them close to the bare bones of human experience. Dr. Sellacold is, I should say, one of the most memorable doctors in fiction, and this story of one day in his life has a warmth and a humanity which demands, which demands much from the actor portraying it. We are lucky, therefore, to have in the part of Dr. Sellacold tonight an actor whose success on both stage and screen has endeared him to millions, Mr. Edmund Gwynn. And now a word from Frank Goss before we begin the first act of Dr. Seracold. At Christmas, as on every memorable occasion, you'll take special pride in sending Hallmark cards. Because just as for hundreds of years the word Hallmark has been the distinguishing symbol of quality throughout the English-speaking world, the Hallmark on the back of your greeting cards is your assurance of finest quality and perfect taste. It's a symbol of quality all will quickly recognize and realize you cared enough to send the very best. Now, Hallmark Playhouse, presenting Helen Ashton's Dr. Sarah Cole, starring Edmund Gwen. It was already long past midnight. But Dr. Seracold still sat over his day book, making the entry. Let me see now. The day began at 2.30 a.m. Yes. Began at 2.30 a.m. and ended at 11.45 p.m. A lot of things happened in between. A lot of things do happen in a doctor's day. Mrs. Purvis pounded on the door at 2.30 this morning when the call came. of my October years quickened my breath and slowed my footsteps. 2.30 in the morning was early and my years were late. Ah, I sat by Dr. Gaunt's bedside. We had worked side by side in the village for over 40 years. Ah, Luke. Luke. Take good care of everyone. Take good care of them. When I left his house, a light fog from the river missed the village. The moisture dripped from the trees and from the eaves of the houses, as though already they wept for him. Behind the darkened windows, the people he had left in my trust slept. And I found myself thinking, he's left you to me, and I don't know how long I have to live. I wouldn't know until the letter arrived from that London specialist. 
telling me whether or not I had the fatal disease doctor and patient alike feared above all others. It had been a week since I'd gone to London for the examination. The letter should come today. Well, the postman was starting his rounds as I came up the walk. It was seven o'clock. No letter. No. Well, there was still the evening mail. By 8 a.m., I, I was away on my... to the office. I was a few minutes late getting in, and my nurse was already at her desk. Good morning, Dr. Serico. She followed me into my office and sat down before my desk. Mm. I told her about Dr. Gaunt as briefly as possible, and... Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Dr. Serico. Mm. Now, I know how you must feel after yes. working together all these years. Yes. You'll have a surgery at nine, then, Dr. Serico. A patient of Dr. Gaunt. Huh? Oh, very well. Surgery at nine. Surgery at nine. It was a mastoid. The girl had to be operated on at once if a brain abscess was to be avoided. And it was a couple of years since I'd had such a case to deal with. A bit frightening to face. Yes. Yes, I went in to see her and... Uh, Good morning, Dr. Sarkoff. I looked at her. She was flushed. Her pulse... Was rapid. She was in a panic. Doctor, I don't want an operation. I can't help it. I don't want an operation. Well, well, that's understandable. No one ever wants an operation. But sometimes, well, we just have to have them. And you've got nothing to worry about. Do you think I'd be sitting here chatting with you if you had anything to worry about? No. No, I'd be out there walking up and down worrying. I, I guess it is silly. Yes, of course it is. Now, now, you just keep in mind that in an hour, maybe even less, this whole thing is going to be over, and you'll be back in here getting well. Yes, yes. You've got to have faith, young lady. Oh, I, I have faith in you, Dr. Sirico. Not faith in me. Faith in God. Nine a.m., surgery. The noise of bubbling water and roaring gas on the sharply moving smell of ether. The round circle of light from the head mirror. The scalpel. The curved incision. Your hand clenched on the instrument. Your mind clenched on your knowledge of anatomy. Here's the iodoform gauze, Doctor. I packed the wound with a gauze. Slowly, carefully. And inside, I'm thanking God for his mercy and kindness to the girl on the table and to me. Time consumed by the operation, 45 minutes. Time saved by the operation, 45 years, perhaps more, of a girl's life. Yes, a lot of things happen in a doctor's day. 9 a.m. surgery, 10 a.m. called at the vicarage to see the vicar's wife. Dr. Gaunt's patient. She's out on a call right now, but she'll be back any moment if you care to wait in the parlor, Dr. Sarah I sat down in a stiff corner chair, and I looked, as I always did, towards the door to see if Catherine was standing there. And then, as always, I felt a little foolish. For Catherine had been dead for 38 years. And I was probably the only one in the village that remembered that there had once been a Reverend Freer living in the vicarage whose daughter Catherine had married Luke Serracold when he was a young assistant and had died the next year when her baby was born. Catherine. Catherine, to remember Catherine is to remember laughter. And it's to remember youth and dreams. A 
and words softly spoken in the star-stabbed darkness. To remember Catherine is to remember spring and the springtime of my life. The memory of her voice is the music I carry always in my heart. Oh, just think, Luke. We'll have our own small house. And at night, we'll sit in front of the fire with our dreams. Catherine's face, golden in the firelight, turned towards mine. Luke, you have such strength. You can conquer anything in the world, even death. Think of it, darling. You can conquer anything. Catherine's words burning in my veins, giving me new strength, new confidence. Oh, Luke, I'm so happy. It's almost frightening. I suppose when anything goes as deep as this, you, you can't help but think what it would be like to lose it. I couldn't live without you. Catherine in my arms, warm, glowing, alive, and behind her, the moments running out swiftly in time's hourglass. A baby. Oh, Luke, just think, a baby of our own. Luke, I want six sons, and I want them all to look exactly like you. Oh, Luke, isn't it wonderful to be alive? Isn't it wonderful to be alive? Catherine's voice, always linked in my consciousness to the voice of Dr. Gaunt. Luke, you'd better go in. I, I'm afraid there's nothing we can do. To remember Catherine is to remember sorrow so deep it was inexpressible. To remember Catherine is to remember youth flickering out in her eyes and knowledge sifting in. Remember, Catherine, is to remember spring. And spring's ending. And tears in the night. Good morning, Dr. Saracold. Dr. Saracold, didn't you hear me? Hmm. What? Hmm? Oh, I beg your pardon, Mrs. Carmichael. I was a thousand miles away. I was thinking about the days when I was young and and I Dr. Gaunt asked me to look in on you. We shall all miss him. It gives one a queer feeling, his passing. Yes. He always seems so well and so alive somehow. Mm. It makes you wonder how long... I should hate to leave the vicar alone just now. Mrs. Carmichael, you're not going to be leaving the vicar. I can see a big improvement since the time I stopped by with Dr. Gaunt three months ago. You can? Yes. Can you really, Dr. Sarah? Yes, I can. Now, if you will promise me to do as I say... Yes. I can promise you a good many years with the vicar. Oh, thank you, Dr. Siracle. You don't know what it means when people have been married as long as we have to face the thought of, of separation. That's right, Mrs. Carmichael. Only you two, who have been so fortunate as to have had those years, can know what they mean. Thank God for that, Mrs. Carmichael. Thank God for that. I left the vicarage and started for my next call. But I had a new feeling of hope. It was as though I... Well, I touched Catherine's hand and the smoky flame of my life had begun to burn a little brighter. She had said I could conquer death. Well, I would know by the end of the day. Surely the letter from the London specialist would be there when I got home.
In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Dr. Seracole, starring Edmund Gwen. If you are like most of us, you will want to have several boxes of assorted Christmas cards to have on hand for completing your lists and to take care of last-minute additions. You'll find a complete array of Hallmark box selections to choose from at the friendly store where you buy your Hallmark cards. And just because they are Hallmark cards doesn't mean they need to be expensive. For example, for only 50 cents, there's a box titled Hallmark Snow Scenes with 12 colorful Christmas winter scenes that would delight anyone. Then there's the Hallmark Big Value Box that contains 22 different Christmas cards for only $1. And there's a special box for the kiddies, so appealing they will want to keep a set themselves. Among the many other Hallmark box selections are old-time prints by Courier and Ives, colorful Christmas scenes by Norman Rockwell, with the kindly understanding for which he is famous, verses by Edgar A. Guest, America's favorite poet, winter scenes that recapture childhood memories by Grandma Moses, in some Hallmark boxes, you will even find a large reproduction of one of the subjects for you to frame and keep. Whatever your taste and whatever your budget, you're sure to find Hallmark cards that will please you. And remember, when your friends receive these fine cards and look on the back, as you did, they'll see the Hallmark and know you cared enough to send the very best. And now here is the second act of Dr. Seracold, starring Edmund Gwen. <laughs> inoculated the five brown children for diphtheria. They were afraid of the needle. I looked down at the small, anguished face, and as all children did, the little girl immediately became my own. No, 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 Susie. Susie, do you know what's in this needle? No. A lot of little, tiny people. So small, you can't even see them, except with a microscope. And these people are all carrying tiny swords. And as soon as they get inside you, they make war on all the bad old germs. Now, this needle is like a little tiny bridge for the soldiers to walk across from their home in this vial to your arm. See? Now, there's nothing frightening about that, is there? No, I guess not. No, no. Now, you, you hold real still, see? So that none of the little people will be hurt as they march into your arms. There. There, we are there. Now, that, that didn't hurt, did it, eh? No, no, no. no. Dr. Serico, when I grow up, will you marry me? Susie, how old are you? Seven. Well, Susie, you ask me again when you're 21, and I'll take the matter under my serious consideration. I left the Browns' house thinking over Susie's proposal. Susie would be 21 in 14 years. Where would I be in 14 years? I felt a sudden gnawing pain in my inside, and I realized if the report from London was what I feared it would be, in less than one year, I'd be sleeping beside Catherine. And what would I leave behind me? What monuments had I built? What discoveries had I made? None. None. It was noon, but I turned towards home and lunch, fighting a dark midnight of despair. Two o'clock. Called on Miss Purifoy at the Dial House High Street. Found her improved. Three o'clock? 
gave four more diphtheria injections. Four o'clock, drove out to see Lady Catrick of Carfax Hall. Lady Catrick will be down immediately, Dr. Serigold. I walked into the regal sitting room of Carfax Hall and waited. I didn't like Lady Catrick. She was tactless, heavy-handed, over-fond of authority, but I was fond of her son, and I worried about him. Well, Doctor, here you are at last. I want to talk to you about my son, Harry. He's not at all well just now, and on top of everything else, he's being extremely annoying. He's taking it into his head that he wants to marry the parson's daughter at Holt Abbott. Oh, yes, Angela Fletcher. I understand she's got quite a good job drawing fashions for some paper. She won't be able to keep Harry and herself out of a page of drawings a week. Well, she won't have to. He's got some money of his own. If he hasn't enough, he could always sell this place. Why? Yeah, after all, his father left it to him. Sell Carfax? Yeah. Why, this is the family place. The Catholics have always lived here. That's what the girl's after, though. No, I don't believe that. But you don't imagine she's in love with Harry, do you? How could she be? The boy's blind. Now, now, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't... Mother, how can you say that? Oh, so you're back, Harry. I told Dr. Serigold I wanted him to tell you how impossible it is for you to think of getting married. I'll not tell him anything of the kind. Let him get married if he wants to get married. Dr. Serigold! How's the boy ever to find any peace of mind if he's badgered and bullied and shouted at? If he takes my advice, he'll go up to London tomorrow with Angela and get a special license. Dr. Serigold, you'll never be called to this house again. Harry, leave the room. No. I don't know what Dr. Serigold is thinking about to talk as he does. What right has anyone in your condition to marry? What sort of husband do you think to make? Harry, don't listen to another word. You come away with me. Come now. Just as you are. It's your only chance. If you stay now, you'll be finished. Argued with, shouted down. If you haven't the strength to fight her now, the thing to do is to clear out. Yes. Yes, come on, then. Don't you dare leave this house. Don't you dare leave this house. Come back here. Come. This is what is known as an open and shut case of kidnapping. Come on, Harry. My car's right here. Dr. Serracold, is she right? No, of course she isn't right. My mind isn't going, is it? She seems to think that no, I'm... No, indeed. Now, look here. After you were discharged, there was still a splinter of bone pressing on your brain. That's why you had those lapses of memory that you did. After you had that operation in London, you were perfectly all right. You'll be all right now, except Lady Catrick has kept undermining your own confidence. You're all right, Harry. Well, here we are. Let's get out now. I wouldn't want to hurt Angela. If I couldn't make her happy, I... If, if my blindness... Harry, would... do you know what Angela said to me the other day? Oh, no. Oh, I didn't know you talked to her. Well, I try to keep an eye on everything I can in this part of the country. Angela said, Harry has such a strength. He can conquer anything he wants to conquer. Angela said that? Angela said, when I'm with Harry... I'm so happy. It's almost frightening. I couldn't live without him. Angela said, I want six sons and I want them all to look exactly like him. Angela said. Angela said, there's ever to be happiness for me. It can only be with Harry. Angela. Oh, Angela, darling. <laughs> Do Dr. Serical told me that you, you said... Yes. I heard the things that Dr. Serracold said. I said, thank you for bringing Harry, Dr. Serracold. Yes. Thank you for bringing me home. <laughs> well, now I'm sure you two can get along without me. I'm anxious to get home as early as I can. I'm, I'm expecting quite an important letter. 
4 p.m., Lady Catrick of Carfax Hall. 6 p.m., town council meeting. I went to the meeting and then, at last, I was able to hurry home. And there, under the lamp in the hallway, was the letter. I held it in my hands a moment, turning it over and over, thinking, thinking I shall know what's the matter with me in a moment. All I have to do is tear open the envelope to know whether there's death or life inside it. Oh, I don't know how long I stood there before I opened the letter. I, I only know that finally I was blinking at the typewritten words. And the words kept, kept blurring in front of me. Only, only gradually could I make them out. I, glad to send you such satisfactory information. I took a more formidable, no, 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 more favorable, took a more favorable view from the first than you did yourself. Nervous dyspepsia, aggravated by, by what, what? Oh, overwork. Think you have no need for further anxiety. Three months treatment along the lines of the enclosed instructions. Oh, 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 I'm getting too old for, for this sort of thing. I thought, oh, I thought, oh, I thought I... Thank God. Hello. Dr. Sarah Cole, this is the matron at the hospital. Yeah. Mrs. Perkins' labor is just commencing. If you'll come over. I'll be right there, matron. Tell her. I'll be right there. 12.45 p.m. Delivered a baby to Mrs. Frank Perkins. I stood there waiting to welcome the child into the world and, and as I waited, I, I thought, I've, I've seen the whole of my own life again today and I've had the chance to think, to think about what it was worth. I'd done a lot of fencing with death in my time and, and forced him back more times than one. Maybe I, I haven't built any monuments, but, but I've given people years to live and every life is a monument in itself. Every life I've added to, every life I've helped enter the world. Well, well, hello there. Here's young Perkins. <laughs> Life is a little bigger, isn't he? Eh? Eh? Worth staying up after midnight for, is that? He's a beautiful thing, Dr. Sarico. Isn't he beautiful? Well, I suppose to a woman, he's, uh, Mrs. Perkins will think he is. And what does the doctor the think? The doctor always thinks like the mother and the matron at the hospital. But there never was a child quite like this one. <laughs> 12.45 a.m., deliver the baby to Mrs. Perkins. Dear God, thank you for showing me once again today the pattern of faith and the fulfillment of faith. Thank you for guiding my mind and hands this day, and thank you, oh, thank you above all for hope. Hope after hopelessness. For life after death, for causing the day that began 
with an old man's death to end with the birth of a child. Thank you. Thank you for the 65 years I've lived and for the life still ahead of me. Hilton will return in a moment. Now, a word of advice about how to choose your Christmas card. Probably no purchase you make is more important, for each Christmas card you send represents your taste. It represents you to your friends and loved ones, your business associates, your new acquaintances. So for this important purchase, go to one of the leading stores in town, one you've learned to trust for what is correct and in good taste, the friendly store where you buy your Hallmark card. New Hallmark creations for imprinting with your name are now awaiting your approval and selection. America's foremost artists, Grandma Moses, Norman Rockwell, and many others, have painted Hallmark Christmas cards especially for you. Just ask to see the cards for imprinting with your name. Cards your friends will be proud to receive and show. For when they see the Hallmark on the back, they'll know you cared enough to send the very best. I think our audience will agree with me that you gave a magnificent portrayal of Dr. Seracold, Edmund Gwen. He was a perfect reflection of what we all picture as the family doctor. Well, I liked playing that character. Seems to be a habit of mine, doesn't it? <laughs> I've even played old Santa himself. That's right. <laughs> well, you learned then, as I'm sure you've always known, how important that spirit is all the year round. Oh, yes. I certainly do. And I think it's wonderful the way Hallmark cards help maintain it with a fine selection of cards for every occasion. We're happy to know you feel that way about Hallmark cards, Mr. Gwen. And may I remind you to select your Hallmark Christmas cards as soon as you can? I most certainly shall, Frank. Please thank Hallmark for me, will you, for my pleasant evening at the Playhouse here? We shall, and you're invited to be with us next week when we have that grand actor Charles Coburn in Colonel Effingham's raid by Barry Fleming. Oh, yes. And the week following, we shall present Miss Irene Dunn in Bride of Fortune. Our Hallmark Playhouse is every Thursday. Our director-producer is Bill Gay. Our music is conducted by Lynn Murray. And our script tonight was adapted by Jean Holloway. Until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying good night. <laughs> sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember Hallmark cards when you care enough to send the very best. Edmund Gwen appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture, That Forsyth Woman, starring Errol Flynn, Greer Garson, Walter Pigeon, and Robert Young. This is Frank Goss saying goodnight to you all until next week at this same time when James Hilton returns to present Colonel Effingham's Raid. Starring Charles Coburn, and the week following, Irene Dunn in Bride of Fortune on the Hallmark Playhouse.
This is KMBC, Kansas City, Missouri.